Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. Warning. The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. I'm Ashley. And this week we're going to talk about The Thing, the 1982 horror classic... I think I would call this a masterpiece to be so bold. Oh, that is bold. Yeah. It's in my top five for a reason. It was directed by John Carpenter, and he is widely considered to be a horror master. Agreed. So, maybe appropriate. I'm just going to tell you guys off the top, this is intimidating a little bit, because as you guys will know, we're not a podcast where we're going to go out and we're going to do all of this research and and give you all of these theories and all kinds of stuff. Because for one, everybody and their dog has done that with the thing as it is already. So, like any other show, we're just going to give you our thoughts on it. I mean, <laughs> if if you care enough to hear them, we're just going to talk to you about what we think about the film, what our favorite things are, and hopefully that's good enough. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have analyzed it and done a really good job. I don't know that there's much else we can add to that. Well, there's a lot of people out there that continue to try to push these <laughs> theories? assessments or theories <laughs> about the movie, even though the director has come right out and said, no. They're bullshit. That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But before we get started, I um, just want to make a couple of quick show announcements right quick. Um, as some of you may already know from our social media, we have moved to Saturday nights. We have decided that works better with our work schedules. So yeah, same show. Uh, I, I'd want to say new time because we don't necessarily have a, a set time, but definitely on Friday nights, we'll try to get a time locked down, or not Friday nights, I'm sorry, Saturday nights, we will try to get a time locked down on that and other than that the next thing is in lieu of another monthly episode of pillow talk we decided with the holidays being at the forefront we are going to forego that this month and instead give you guys a free preview of one of our patreon exclusive shows that show being all out of bubble gum that's a thing that we have just started we we have a lot of fun doing it we we talk about action films instead of horror films so we're going to be giving you guys a free preview and what better film to end december with or rather Christmas than Die Hard. So look forward to that coming out next month or next week. I'm sorry. I just can't talk this evening. (laughs) The struggle is real. (laughs) But speaking of Pillow Talk, we did get a few questions this month. And since we're not doing Pillow Talk, we told our friend Karima that we would answer them in this week's show. There's only a few. So bear with us, guys. They shouldn't take too long. And we hope that you enjoy the topics (laughs) this month. So, first question is, what would each of your demon forms look like? Okay. Who is this question from? Karima. I already said that. What a question. She always comes up with the good ones. You want to go first? Uh, (laughs) You started to talk, so I thought you were going to answer first. Okay. So, I guess uh, in light of what I do, maybe, the only thing I can come up with, and of course the things I like, is I would picture myself as something like Vampira, but with a nurse's outfit and a syringe. But she's a vampire. Does she need a syringe? Well, I don't know that she's specifically a vampire. Clearly, I need to do more research. (laughs) But yeah, just like, yeah, picture Vampira, but in, in like a skimpy nurse's outfit from like, I don't know, maybe one of those Silent Hill nurse outfits, maybe. Okay. And then holding I, a I syringe. Can, I can go for that. So yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay. So after great deliberation, I've decided my demon form would be Hellboy. I was really hoping you were going to go with Legend. He's all about beer and nachos. <laughs> so Yo, yeah. Well, Tim Curry looks better. <laughs> I don't know. Ron Perlman's kind of badass. 
And you know what? You've watched Sons of Anarchy how many times? Uh, several, but uh, okay. I don't watch it for Ron Perlman. Hello. Everybody watches it for Ron Perlman. No, you watch it for Charlie Hunnam and Ryan Hurst. Okay. We Everybody need, knows that. We're going to have a talk <laughs> offline about this. But... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Hellboy fits my personality pretty well. Probably, yeah. Except for the cats, I'm not. So, I'm more of a dog guy, not really a cat guy. You're not really a dog guy either. I've decided. Nah. You like other people's dogs. I like other people's dogs. Yeah, like it's like other people's kids. Except no, I don't. No, I don't, I don't like other people's I don't like kids. Other I only like my kids. kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the next question: Which character would you or which character do you think would do better in a zombie apocalypse, Rambo or Commando? Now, see, this for me was fun. I enjoyed deliberating this one with you because I think we landed on two different sides of the fence. I think we didn't. You think we didn't? I think I won you over. I don't know. Okay. Listen. <laughs> I okay. I pick Rambo. Okay. All right. Uh huh. Not Rambo from Rambo Part Three because that was a trash movie <laughs> but he's a survivor dude was a green beret like yeah. he's good at killing shit with a knife he can live off the land he can have a standoff with brian dennehy and kill the whole town or blow it up he's like a less white trashy daryl dixon okay i think i remember having this conversation with you because my gut instinct told me that of course you go with commando no because arnold can beat anybody but then the more i thought about it i was like okay so if we're talking in terms of dutch from predator who is living off the land that's a different story i know that let me finish my thoughts <laughs> if we're talking about alan dutch living off the land building traps and whatnot yes i think he he would do just fine. But we are talking about Commando. And yes, the dude can lift a car, carry a whole fucking tree on his shoulder. But at the same time, I don't remember him using weapons other than firearms or knives. John Matrix has got to have his guns. Yes. So I think I do tend to land more toward Rambo just because of that survival instinct. So yes, fuck, I'm going to go Rambo. Did I just win? You won. Oh. Whatever. There's Shut a up. First, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying that he is better with improvised weapons than John Matrix. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And our final final question comes from Karima's husband, Cedric, and he wants to know if we can make Avatar into a horror movie. And I said, you bet your ass I can. I'm going to call it the Blue Inferno. <laughs> I think we kind of both went in the same direction on this. <laughs> yeah. And you had a really morbid idea toward the end. So, so uh, I'll start. I'll start. So uh, I, you turned, go first. I turned this completely into a cannibal Holocaust Green Inferno situation where you have these, which Travis uh, gave me a pretty severe brow beating. I said, you have these well-meaning white people. <laughs> <laughs> decide that they're going to go into this colony full of these people and try to quote help them and save their resources and whatnot only to find themselves being hunted by the blue people so travis i guess you can elaborate on that <laughs> Because you had so, a pretty more of an idea. I had, I had the same thought, the same same kind of storyline, right? Where they get there and they find out that the blue people think that we are delicious. Except you've still got whoever that ultimate actor is, like the best actor ever. What was his name? Was it Jai oh, Courtney? Are you, are, you talking about, <laughs> are you talking about the main character? Yeah, I am. You have Sam Worthington. Nah, they're the same to me. Anyway. <laughs> wood is wood is wood. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same. Um, where he decides he wants to stay a right. blue person uh -huh. and he eats himself. Like he eats his human body so that he can stay in a blue one. Yeah. <laughs> Do we keep all the same actors? Oh, absolutely. I really don't want to see Sigourney Weaver get eaten. Uh, okay, so there's always got to be somebody left at the end. And if there's going to be somebody left at the end, it's got to be Sigourney oh, yeah. Weaver. yeah, she's the badass that fights her way out. She's still Ripley. Yeah, she can still do that. Right. And what's his name? Steven something. You know the guy who's the dick? Yeah, the douchebag in the exosuit. Steven something, but I can't remember his name. Um, He can still get eaten. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I think that from like a body horror standpoint, having Sam Worthington. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a minute. Like, Stephen Lang. There we go. That's his name. Eat his own body. <laughs> yeah. Like so that he can stay in the blue body would just be really fucked up. Yeah. Like Cronenberg would need to direct that one. See, I'm still thinking like Eli Roth has already done it. Oh, yeah. He's done it. Or maybe we get the guy who directed, I can't remember his name, Rogerio Didario or something like that. I maybe don't know we just get him to that. come back and direct it. <laughs> Oh, the guy that did the original? The one that they wanted to throw in prison? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it can get real crazy. (laughs) He killed real animals while he was filming them. Well, obviously, we don't want him to kill real animals. No. But yeah, that that was my thing. He might kill real blue people. (laughs) So wait, that was just where my mind went automatically. So I hope that answer's a good one. But I just... I keep thinking if you're going to have somebody that's going to go basically colonize another people's land, then they should be eaten. Yeah, why not? That's the worst fucking way to go out. So yeah, they they deserve to die. So there you go. (laughs) Thank you so much, Karima and Cedric, for your questions. We fucking love answering these. Can't wait to see what you got next month. But now moving on to the show. Again, we're talking 1982's The Thing, directed by John Carpenter and... Wow. I what I, I said this at the beginning. What can you say about this movie that hasn't already been said to death? So this is a tough movie for us to cover. And, and we kind of talked about this offline. It's been covered by a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. It's been covered in depth by a lot of people. Um, but this movie was kind of a flop when it came out. Right. So it came out like right after E.T. Mm-hmm. And people were still kind of on the we want to sort of a, a beer drinking ouch type of (laughs) sort of huggable alien yeah and that is not what you get in this movie no this is probably one of the most nihilistic films i've ever seen before but in the best possible way and the darkness of the film was probably part of what hurt it i think originally and they they had a problem viewers at the time had a real problem with what rob boutine did now having said that Rob Boutine kind of set the standard for practical effects going forward after this film. I would say the gold fucking standard. He... He fucked everybody up. <laughs> like, he look, did this. we have been on this show for over a year now talking and like singing the praises of Tom Savini, right and left, right and left, right and left. But if I'm being honest, these are two different venues. Okay. These are two different types of horror film. I think if you're talking in terms of your standard slasher, yes, Tom Savini has ab- absolutely set the bar for that. And stuff. zombies. Don't forget zombies. But if we're talking in terms of like fucking just award winning work, I don't think. Rob Bottin has ever been outdone. And yes, he did work. I believe he's a protege of uh, Rick Baker's, which, you know, enough can't be said about Rick Baker. But there are things that have been done in this that I feel like to this day have not been rivaled. I mean, everything has gone so far over to CG that I don't think anyone will ever top the work that he did here. And for him to only be 22 years old, like, goddamn, that make that'll make you feel bad about yourself. Well, and he he invested everything into this film because at some point I don't know I've heard different different numbers but some people said he was working like 20 hours a day mm-hmm. to get this shit done and he was hospitalized for exhaustion and pneumonia because um, the dude literally put everything he had into this film and I damn I can appreciate that I mean the dude was dedicated to what he had going on and I, I think that's fantastic can't get dedicated not fantastic that anything he, <laughs> that not, much yeah not fantastic <laughs> that he was hospitalized but just that that amount of dedication that he was really just throwing everything he had into this right and he's also in addition to kind of setting the standard for what a visual effect in a horror movie should look like or a practical effect could look like he also fucked up the budgets for for practical effects (laughs) for every horror film after this because they went so universal had never spent that much money on practical effects ever right in a film prior to this this is the second time we've talked about Rob Boutine and the last couple of months because as we said before he worked on robocop and that is still some of my favorite work ever to be done too now it's not as good as this obviously but oh i just i don't know i can't i can't say enough good things about him and and so to kind of get away from rob Boutine, but not really he did such a good job on the effects that because the movie was not well received, because they barely made a profit, this almost ruined John Carpenter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ended up doing Christine right after this just to have something to do. Right. Because, a cash grab to keep the lights on, basically. Yeah, because no one would take him after this because of the way the movie sort of flopped. But I think I he mean, lost like a three film contract with yeah, Universal. Yeah, he did. And that sucks because I'm kind of curious what those three films would have been. Mm-hmm. But he took on Christine, which he did not want to do mm-hmm. after this, which is crazy because, you know, he was, I guess, in trouble, sort of, for having this movie that flopped. So he took Christine, which also became a cult classic. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't I want to say that everything the man touches turns gold, but... Yeah, Ghost of Mars still exists, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But 
I mean, goddamn, like if you had a flop in your follow up is Christine. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not a bad deal at all. No, because uh, we, we've uh, we've talked about that a little bit recently with Halloween Ends and how much Christine influenced that film. And that's for a reason, because there's some really good shit in Christine. Too. That's not a movie that we would not consider covering later, maybe. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which the funny thing is, is that if you look at its ratings now, it's an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 4.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd, and an 80 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. I would give it higher than an 84. I would too. I'm just saying like for a movie that they say was a flop, that was not a success, those are some pretty high numbers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those, this... I think the only movie we've covered that had higher numbers than that so far was Jaws. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not terribly known for our highly rated films. We go for the lowbrow stuff. <laughs> so why don't we talk about cast? So the cast, it had one. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I gotta pull it up. So obviously you've got Kurt Russell who plays McReady. Um The man, the myth, the beard. He you know what? The ass. Sexiest man alive. <laughs> Wilford Brimley, the Quaker Oats guy, he Diabetes. plays <laughs> 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 you're not right for that. Plays Dr. Blair. Keith David is in this. He plays Childs. Fucking love Keith David. And he's pretty awesome. And he almost didn't get it. Like, they had interviewed or auditioned several other people other than him. Right. Richard Masur plays Clark, which now I don't know him from anything, (laughs) but you do. I do. Because every time I see him, I always want to go, Stan! Stan! Because the only bigger thing that I know him from is It. And, of course, he played Stan Uris. But that also is a South Park reference from when they were doing uh, their blockbuster slash The Shining bit. And Randy was going through the blockbuster after after standing. And that's how he would do it. Stan! Sorry. I went off on a tangent. I apologize. Yeah, you got way off. <laughs> uh, TK Carter plays Nalls, yeah. which I don't know TK Carter from anything. I, I, do. I might if I saw him in something else. I do else, again. But... Saved by the Bell. Like, Saved by the Bell. Yeah, like early, early Saved by the Bell with Miss Bliss. I don't know who that is that, either. That would be uh, the junior high years. I know Tiffany Amber Thiessen. <laughs> of course you do. That's who I know. <laughs> So, David Clennon plays Palmer. Richard Dysart, I think I'm getting that last name right, plays Dr. Copper. The only thing I know about Dr. Dysart, or Dr. Copper, fuck, I'm getting names wrong again, (laughs) is he has a nose ring in this movie, which I thought was weird for a 1982 film. Maybe he's a pirate. He could be a pirate doctor. (laughs) In Antarctica, which I, I I just found it strange. Like I noticed it, I did notice it the first couple of times I watched the movie, and then we wa- were watching it the other night, and I was like, "He's got a fucking nose ring." Yeah, I yeah I noticed that. Like, that's metal as hell. <laughs> But it's 1982 when men with nose rings was not really a thing. Right. Reaganomics was a thing. Nose rings were not a thing. Right. Um, Charles Hallahan plays Vance Norris. Peter Maloney is George Bennings. Donald Moffat is Gary. I've seen that guy in other stuff. He looks familiar. I can't place it, but I feel I had the same feeling like I felt like I'd seen him somewhere. But I, I, Like a supporting character. Yeah. Probably some it. sort of authoritarian figure because he seems to fill that role pretty well. Yeah. Um, Joel Polis plays Fux. <laughs> Fuchs? Whatever. <laughs> I know. I, I kept reading the subtitles as Fux, too. <laughs> Thomas G. Waits plays Windows. And then there's some people credited as Norwegians. That's how they're credited. Adrian Barbeau, uh, which she was John Carpenter's wife at the time was the yes. voice of the computer that Kurt Russell destroys within the first 10 that minutes. That cheating of the film. bitch. Yes. <laughs> We're not talking about their relationship. <laughs> And then actually John she Carpenter chess. <laughs> John Carpenter is credited as a Norwegian in this film. Oh, okay. So I have no idea. It was written by Bill Lancaster and John W. Campbell Jr. And of course, it's based on the novella Who Goes There, which from what I understand, John Carpenter took more inspiration from than the black and white film. Right. Because there was a, like a 1951 film called The Thing from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people thought they I were going to get, which is like a thing from another world world actually yeah that too and <laughs> but it had more of a frankenstein like alien right. in mm-hmm. it whereas the book is yeah carpenter's it, carpenter's interpretation is closer to the book yeah it's about assimilation or a creature that assimilates other, other beings yeah not really it's not pod people <laughs> 
So, what do you remember at the first time you watched this film? How old were you when you watched this film the first time? I didn't watch this film as a kid. I didn't. This was one I actually did not see until I was an adult. So, I can't really remember, like, specifically the first time I saw it. I just remember how I felt the first time I watched it. And this is one of those movies that you you can still be surprised by a film. Because I put it on thinking, I don't know if this is really going to be my thing. Like, I don't know. And then I watched it and I was like, holy fuck. And I think that I get a lot the first time I watched it too. It's kind of like the first time I watched The Fly where you think... I don't know. I guess it comes with watching a lot of slasher films that you're just like, uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know. And then you come across a film like this and you're like, what the fuck am I watching right now? Like that first shit with the dogs, I I, I just remember being completely taken aback. Um, But yes, I don't recall ever having seen it when I was a kid. So the funny thing is, is that even though I've seen it several times now, like I said, this is one of my top five movies of all time. It still feels like a first time watch for me every single time I watch it. Is that, does that make any sense? Because I feel like I learn something new or pick up on something new or maybe grab a piece of the story that I was confused on a time before and the, the pieces keep coming together more and more with every subsequent watch. Okay. So my first watch was as an adult, probably within the last couple of years and it's your fault. <laughs> um, I remember like with the dog scene because the dog scene is the first real gore that you get in this film we may have watched it for the first time together and having like that stepbrothers moment like what the fucking fuck (laughs) what am i watching i thought you meant i think i'm gonna throw up i think i'm gonna throw up (laughs) well there might have been nah nah not that movies don't really have that effect on me but i was seriously i was like what the hell am i watching right now this is some jacked up stuff yeah and i will say because i've been critical of it before with old effects old practical effects that i say well you know they were made in sd so they don't really hold up that well on an hd tv mm-hmm. blah, blah 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 these are still pretty fucking good yeah they really really fucking are like, you can see rob boutine's how much work he actually did on this mm-hmm. um but yeah i guess that's really it the, the two real impressions that i have from my first watch are what the hell am i watching and then at the end it's just the end and i'm like so i need that scotch in my life because i've never had jnb <laughs> and uh, w- wait who who won no 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 no, no. You, you can't end it right there yeah. you can't end it right there that's not a goddamn ending who won <laughs> Right. Where it's like, because they just cut it off, and I know we'll talk about it later. So, and we've already given our spoiler warning, so it doesn't matter. But they don't tell you, like, is McCready infected? Is Childs infected? Is one of them the thing? Is neither of them the thing? Is nobody the thing, and they're just gonna die? Like, did they win? But they don't give you a clear cut ending. It, it's really ambiguous, and I think that was part of the problem the audience had when they first released this film. Was it the good guy didn't necessarily win? That's what I one of the things I know. love about it, though. So there's a huge just unknown at the end of this film and I don't like the unknown but it still feels appropriate I've talked about this with Stephen King books like there's a Stephen King book well when I read The Gunslinger like the very last book of the Dark Tower series I didn't like the ending at all. I still love Stephen King, but it, even though I didn't like it, it felt appropriate. And this is kind of in the same vein as that. I didn't like the ending, but it felt appropriate. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I I, I, I dig it. I love that ending. Yeah. I love a downtrodden, ambiguous No, that's what I'm saying. Like, even though I didn't like the ending, it felt like the right ending, whether yeah. I liked it or not. To continue to talk on John Carpenter, I feel like that's something he does so well. Like the end of Halloween, Michael's body's gone loomis looking off into the night you don't know what's going to happen if if they had never gone on with that franchise and left it right there if that was the only film in the franchise yes that would have been a downtrodden ending but god damn is it good yes yeah see, i could have i could have stopped there I think. I, I think if they had ended it right there, I would have been okay. Like, it would have been another one. I don't like this ending, but it's probably the right ending. Yeah. Or In the Mouth of Madness. Same thing. That that movie is a really fucked up ending. And that's actually, I think, the third in... Uh, so, like, The Thing is the beginning of his Apocalypse, tr- Apocalypse trilogy. And then the second being The Prince of Darkness, which I've only watched one time because uh, Podmortem was covering it. And then In the Mouth of Madness, which I've seen a few times now. And, yeah, fantastic fantastic fucking ending i I think john carpenter knows he's a really good storyteller yeah yeah i agree and i like it when
when any, uh, do I call them a creator, whether they're making film or making books or whatever it is that they're doing, when they give it the right ending, whether it's the uh, the ending that the audience wants or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What's fitting like to like the I story. Said, I, I don't like the way Stephen King has ended some of his books, but they're the right ending. I don't like the way John Carpenter ended this movie, but it's the right end. Because if he'd wrapped it up and put a bow on it, like a lot of movie make, uh, filmmakers do... It would have been too easy. Mm -hmm. And this was not an easy situation. It wasn't an easy movie. It wasn't an easy anything that these people went through in this film. Right. So they didn't deserve an easy ending. And that's, he he gave them a, a, it was, it was shit. (laughs) They're just going (laughs) to sit there and get drunk and die or, or one of them's the thing and they're going to freeze and thaw out later when the rescue team comes. But something, something bad's going to happen. Like it's not a positive ending, but it wasn't a positive situation. So even though I don't care for the ending, it's the right ending. Right. And I can appreciate it when a, when a filmmaker or an author even steps up and they're like, this is what I'm going to fucking do. Yeah. So, I mean, we're pretty much on that subject. We can move right on into the story. Okay. Move right on into the story. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys know the basic premise here spaceship starts with spaceship crashing into earth and then but that's it's, i feel like that's a cold open i guess because the first effective thing we really see is just this little doggo and he's living his best life running through the snow and this helicopter chasing him down and then he ends up in this outpost And we see that it's this Norwegian company and this one lone guy is trying like hell to kill this dog. And the people who are at this outpost are like, what the fuck? Why is he trying to kill this dog? And he starts kind of going crazy. And one of the funny things here is that the Norwegian guy, he, in his own language, gives you the entire plot of the film. Right. In just one one sentence, which is pretty crazy. But it's basically he was saying something like, you fucking idiots. The dog is not a dog. He is infected or some shit like that. Um, yeah. They don't touch the dog. Don't go near the dog. So the thing is, is that even if he had been saying it in English, I think that they would have been giving him the, the batteries dead kind of look from <laughs> right? Pineapple Express. Like, what? Yeah, probably. What they, do you mean that dog's not a dog? It's a dog. They probably. You're high. <laughs> yeah. They probably would have treated him the way, exactly the same way they treat Blair later. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have changed anything if they could have understood what he was saying. I do like the way uh the other guy the other norwegian guy bails out of the airplane and fumbles the grenade and blows up himself <laughs> and the and the helicopter how do you well he doesn't like, necessarily <laughs> kill himself though because we have i can't remember his name all of a sudden you know what there's like 15 fucking guys no the there's like post. three but there's three guys in the helicopter there's the pilot that doesn't get out which i suspect is john carpenter mm-hmm. the guy that fumbles the grenade and he's like digging through the snow trying to dig it out and he dies and then the guy with the gun trying to kill the dog that uh, Gary shoots. Gary, that's it. What I was going to say is that Gary is the one who kills him. He shoots him right in the eye. Right, but there were three three different Norwegians. Oh, I, I thought there was only the one. No, you've got the one with the gun, the one that was flying the helicopter, and the one that tried unsuccessfully to throw a grenade. Ah. Then blew his ass up. Okay. So from there, basically, once they've got good boy, you know, they're protecting him. They want to find out what the fuck. Why, why did these guys come and do this? So they take McCready and I believe Doc. I, I I know it's Doc Cop Dr. Copper, but they call him Doc throughout the film. And they go over to where the Norwegian outpost is and come upon a pretty grisly discovery, haul it back to their outpost, and that's when all hell breaks loose. So what do you think about this story? I okay. So I guess to backtrack just a little bit, one of the things that I found out about this film that I thought was really funny is that the the good boy, the dog I like a good runs boy. up and like jumps up on a guy. Uh, at the American Outpost. The guy that he jumped on was terrified of dogs. Aww. So it took like, and that was a pretty good sized dog because that was like a wolf husky hybrid named Jeb or Jed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a great dog. Apparently it was one of the best dogs that most of these actors had ever worked with. But yeah, the actor that he jumped on was terrified of dogs. So he was like, we have experience in the husky arena and we know that they're just big fluffs of dumb. They're just (laughs) big floppy idiots. (laughs) They really are. Which is sad because they're really smart dogs they just act like they're morons but so isabel watched uh some of this with us she didn't watch the whole movie but she did watch some of us and again she's our avid dog lover and she was so scared about what was going to happen to that dog and she for some reason in her eight-year-old mind thought that these dogs were really getting hurt and then we had to explain to her no they're they're fine none of these dogs are getting hurt and i told her i said that doggy has no idea that it's being fired at that the sound is something that 
happens in post-production and all that. I said, that dog is doing zoomies through the snow and living its best life. Well, with so with the husky that we had, I don't know that she would have cared if she'd really been being shot at. She still would have just been living her best life running through the snow. Right, probably. The fact that there were bullets involved would not have probably, it, she wouldn't have acknowledged it. No. At all. She would have just thought it was cool sound effects. <laughs> probably. But uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't understand the wisdom of we've come upon this base where something catastrophic has clearly happened and we're going to take basically the end result of this horrible thing and bring it back to where we live. Well, this is like, I understand they want to study it. Yeah. But I was at the same say, time, like, should you bring it back to where you sleep to do that? This is a mistake that people always make in films. I mean, it's, a, it's almost a trope at this point where it's like, this is a sci- scientological find. We've got to study it. It could be, <laughs> I said the wrong word. I don't Scientological. Scientological. <laughs> scientific Scientific mind. discovery. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't think of a word. A scientology. What is the symbolism? What Symbology. Is symbolism. And <laughs> the- that's limeology. <laughs> yeah. They said, they even mentioned it later. Like somebody's going to get the Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer Prize. God damn it. Somebody's going to get the Nobel Prize for this. <laughs> we, just, we just fucked all that up. It's all right. Okay. Just keep going. We're recording very late. We're tired. (laughs) But yeah, that could be a thing now where people, I don't know, the end, the end goal is is always what ends up causing everything to get screwed up. I don't know. I think that now... I don't know that people would bring that back. I think they would try to do it where it is and quarantine it. I think that with infectious disease being the way it is right now, if they came upon something like that, I think they'd be extremely cautious, especially with the the pandemic and all that shit. Well, sure now, but I think they would be a lot more cautious with it. Like, we gotta study it, then fuck it. That's pretty much (laughs) it. Like, they were all Jay at that point. Jay and That's who I was thinking of. (laughs) I know. I want to be the first person to discover alien life. And fuck it. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much the 80s. Reaganomics and fuck the aliens. But I don't know. I, I feel like it's pro- maybe it's appropriate in this film for the time that it was made. I don't know that it would hold up now. I feel like now people would be more cautious. Probably. But as far as the story goes, it's... I don't know. I feel like this is a story that is timeless. I don't think it matters when you tell it, how the circumstances have changed. I still feel like the themes explored in this story are very, very relevant. I, I agree with that. Now, one of the themes that they were really going after in this film was uh, the AIDS epidemic at the time. Because this it whole the whole premise, I guess, behind this or is you never know who's infected. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's even a poster up at one point when they're doing the blood test thing with McCready and it's you know a sexy woman in a nurse's outfit and she's like uh what they don't come with labels or something like Mm -hmm. that and that's kind of the thing that they were talking about was you know people that had AIDS at the time you you don't know who they are um and I don't know that I would say that they handled that in a particularly sensitive way (laughs) that's a really shitty thing it is um I'm not necessarily condoning how they handled it but um but you kind of remember it's, the paranoia of the time. You do. You yeah, do. Because it was a new thing. Nobody knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's kind of brave, I guess, for Carpenter to tackle something like this in a film, mm-hmm. especially in 82. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's some subtext there. Uh, I honestly, I don't know that I would have picked up on it, though, if they hadn't told me. Right, because in yeah. 1982, I was two. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, obviously, I didn't see this movie then, and I don't know um, with more modern sensibilities that I would have picked up on that's what he was talking about right. in this film. But Well, uh, some of the people that we have listened to review this film have, have brought up the uh, coronavirus, the pandemic, COVID, as being a thing, well, that going on makes it more relevant today, but... I don't know that it's necessarily limited to the pandemic. I feel like people in general are just more paranoid of people now. And that could be having to do a lot with the climate that we live in now. People 
you know, getting hurt over having a different opinion than somebody sometimes, you know, if you have a different religion or sexual orientation or skin color, people are paranoid of everyone now. Well, we were talking about this, you and I, just the other day, and this is kind of off topic. I apologize for that. But dealing with our kids, our kids don't grow up in the same world that we grew up in. Right. They deal with problems that we didn't have to even think about. Right. Um, And I feel like in film, it's kind of the same thing. Like this was probably sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing to do back in 82, but now probably not so much. Um, It's just changed a lot. Things have changed a lot since then. Yeah. But I think, yeah, the underlying message is absolutely timeless. But it's still relevant. And it... It to me it it just gets to the very foundation of the human condition and what we the how we behave when we are put in situations like this and it's not always favorable. Well, I would still equate this the way that people react to they don't not knowing who's infected with the thing in this film, um, having been in retail <laughs> <laughs> to the way and I was in retail through the beginning of the coronavirus thing. Um, to the way people treated other people at the beginning of that thing. Mm-hmm. People went insane over that. Like, they treated other people horribly <laughs> at the beginning of this. Yeah. But it was kind of the same thing. They didn't know. They didn't know if you had it or not. Mm-hmm. And people people are assholes a lot of the time. Right. So. And apart from that, in just the way the story uh, is told, the way it unfolds, like, you get just a little bit more and a little bit more. You're learning to all of a sudden, it's, everything is just so fucking bad shit balls to the wall that i i have to watch this multiple times to go did i miss something and I, i'm not sure that i missed something but it feels like i missed something i would need to watch this movie another couple of times i think yeah it's just as i said every every time i watch it i feel like i pick up on something new well i think that part of it for me anyway is the pacing of the film so the beginning it's kind of a slow burn right and then mm-hmm. you get to the part where the dog transforms or whatever in the dog cage and you're like holy shit and then nothing happens again for like another 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. right and it's just this movie's full it's a roller coaster it's yeah. full of hills and valleys because right. you have some holy shit thing that happens right where a dog its face splits open and its skull falls out and there's this <laughs> giant weird tongue and then Childs has got to come in and hit it with a flamethrower yeah it makes like a little flower thing too <laughs> yeah and then nothing happens for 10 or 15 minutes and you get kind of lulled in to this false sense of security in the film and then all of a sudden you've got this dude with like four sets of hands on the end of each arm sitting in the <laughs> snow screaming at you and they gotta set him on fire too yeah and i feel like the whole film goes that way right a lot of horror films now like maybe they're a slow burn up to a point and then when they take off they take off this one doesn't do that mm-hmm. you have these peaks that's almost like jump scares nearly where you oh you they're get jump scares but they're they're the good example of you jump get scares. introduced to this holy shit moment and then we go back to kind of normal for a minute where mm-hmm. they're looking they're investigating they're they're researching up until you get to the next holy shit moment where we're doing a blood test and this guy turns into the thing while he's strapped to the couch with these three other guys yeah <laughs> and then just, it's gone yeah you know it, it's almost it makes it exhausting almost and, you feel like you you've kind of been through it with them you know <laughs> you, in there yeah and like the first time yeah the first time i watched it this movie kind of wore me out because mm-hmm. emotionally you don't know where you need to be right because you get that like the jump scare and the little adrenaline rush and you giggle a little bit because it scared you and you know it shouldn't have and then you go back to normal right you're just mm-hmm. drinking some jb and <laughs> j and b and uh hanging out and then all of a sudden some dude gets his arms bitten off by a stomach well yeah well definitely i'll say when we get to the special effects portion of this there's whoa there's some shit in here that's just straight nightmare fuel but, but yeah. in, in in the act of the story itself i just feel like it's it's so well told the suspense is there the you can the paranoia is palpable like you can feel what these guys are going through where it's like is it this guy i don't know i feel like it could be this guy i mean even starting with uh the good boy just slinking into one of the guy's rooms and you don't know what guy it is but you're not even sure what's about to happen you just know it's not good you just start getting tense immediately the thing is is at that point in the film you don't know why you need to be tense Mm -hmm. but the body language of the dog which was a fantastic actor 
the body language of the animal makes you tense. Like, why does he have his head down like that? Why is his tail tucked in like that? What is this dog doing? Yeah. Like, you're suspicious, even though up to this point, there's been nothing to make you actually feel that way. Yeah. Because at that point in the film, there's been no jump scares. You don't know about the Hellraiser bodies they found at the Norwegian outpost. You don't know about any of that shit. Right. And then you've also got the thing of the reluctant hero, too. Because you have Gary, who's supposed to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, in charge of this outpost. But he, I, I mean, he even outright says that he doesn't want to be in charge. And so you have McCready, who, yeah, he's he's not really supposed to be the main character. He's just a guy who's there. But he, t- he ends up... Doing Doing the fucking thing. Well, and and in the grand scheme of things, he's just the helicopter pilot. Like, he's not there for any part of whatever research they're doing. He's not a doctor. He's not responsible for keeping their equipment running. He, he's not responsible for anything other than flying them out there and flying them back. So he would be, like, kind of the low man in the pecking order. Yeah, but at the end of the day, he steps up, and I would say he turns into this badass. Like, I mean, it's Kurt Russell. You see him, and you know he's a badass from Jump. He's the only fucking guy who could pull off a taco hat of that magnitude <laughs> that was an awesome taco hat <laughs> but if i had one i would be wearing it right now for this recording <laughs> but nobody forced him into that role he just took it and you know what's crazy is that from an actor standpoint he was not their first choice they went for like what harrison ford and clint eastwood they tried all kinds I of people hearing you know clint what? eastwood in so the, many of these things and i'm like why the thing is a lot of the people that they had named uh, for at, at this, their first choices or whatever for this role, I can't imagine it being anyone other than Kurt Russell. Right, exactly. So, in terms of theme for the story, the only other thing that I can think of that feels relevant, and it may just be, it may just be relevant to me, but from having grown up in Texas, right, and and for you even having grown up a, a significant portion of your life in West Texas, mm-hmm. they're in this massive area, they're in a huge place. There's nothing around. They can go anywhere, but because of the conditions. They can go nowhere. So the isolation, even in such an enormous space, is interesting and depressing in kind of a way. You know what I mean? They're in Antarctica. They've got an entire continent almost to themselves, but they still can't escape. Right. And they and they're struggling throughout the film to make contact with anybody and they can't. And I guess that, you know, it makes me think about honestly, West Texas. Because if you're out in the middle of West Texas, yeah, you can go anywhere. <laughs> but you can't go anywhere. There because, are still areas that are completely untouched there. Because they won't ever find you. Yeah. And that's that's where these guys are at. And maybe it's just being able to kind of relate to that feeling of like, yes, I have all this space that I could go to, but I, I it's not it doesn't it's not a guarantee of survival. If I go out there, I'll die, mm-hmm. basically. And there's places in Texas that are like that, honestly, like out in West Texas, there's nothing out there. So you have all this space, but you have nowhere to go. And that's it's kind of an odd, an odd thing. Anyway, so kind of back to the, the theme of isolation, like to sort of explain the Texas part of it, because I understand some people aren't going to understand how that goes. But like in the summertime, if you're in West Texas, if you are in a safe place and you walk out there and it's 110 degrees, you're going to die. And these guys are in the same position. It's what, minus 40 degrees or some crazy shit like that there. So they have all the space. They have an escape avenue. But if they go out there, they'll die. You know what I mean? So they have a space, but they don't. So they're sort of isolated in whatever the definition of their safe space is, which is this base, which is not safe anymore because of the thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was thinking isolation in terms of cabin fever and just being with the same group of people over and over. And then you have um, these themes of, is this person crazy or are they not? Because of being out there alone, I think was what more I was thinking of. So I think there's two different kinds of isolation that go on in this film. So you've got the sort of emotional isolation of, I don't, I, I am alone because I don't know who else is infected. And then the sort of physical and geographical isolation of I can't escape this one place that I'm in. Even though I could go anywhere, I can't leave this space mm-hmm. because to leave is certain death. To stay probably is too. Because right. So, yeah, it makes you feel very alone. Yeah. In this film. And to pull all that off, the actors that they got, we'll, we'll talk, go ahead and talk about the wonderful ensemble cast we have for this. We've, we've already named them all. But even though there's a good bit of these actors that, that I don't know, had never seen them in anything else previously, it feels like an ensemble cast. Everybody pretty much brings their A game to this film. And you know what's crazy about it is that 
that, you know, Kurt Russell was just coming off of Escape from New York, right? Which was a pretty early film for him. This was the very first uh, major film for Childs. Keith, Keith David. David. This is his first major film. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he did a great job. Wilbur Brimley been around forever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously. But yeah, I think the cast was great. And I think they each played their part. Like they each had a good role. They each had a job. And I think they, they all sold it. What do you think? I I don't know. It, it's like, even though everybody on their own doesn't necessarily get a lot of time spent on them, I still feel like everybody gets their time to shine in some way. You know, even if it's for five minutes, you stu- still feel like you know something about each character and what they're like. I don't know. Does that make any sense, I guess? I think if the acting is good enough, you don't need an hour and a half with them on screen. If the acting is good enough, they can tell you who they are in 10 minutes and I feel like that's what we got in this film yeah because I said everybody everybody really conveyed those themes that we were just talking about of being isolated or being knowing this thing and nobody fucking believes you or knowing that there's nothing wrong with you but everybody else thinks that there's something wrong with you and I just think the way they bounced off of each other was really great because when you have a group of guys like this you automatically think that there's going to to be a big camaraderie in a group of males like this but you don't really get that from because that's guys. not how it works none of them are really buddies you know you don't get like little pairings off between maybe these two guys are buddies or these two guys get along really well they're all from different walks of life and they all have different jobs and they're all seem like they're very serious and it's not that there's no levity in this film at all because there is you know the guys do rip on each other a little bit um there's a great scene with uh, Palmer in the beginning where he's he's offering to, to fly them somewhere or drive them somewhere and he's like no and he's like okay thanks for thinking about it <laughs> it just cracks me up every time or Windows sitting asleep with his headphones on and then um, Gary coming up and turning the volume up on his headphones full blast like there's little moments like that but you don't ever really get a sense of any brotherhood between them necessarily it kind of feels like everybody's there for their own I, I don't I didn't get that necessarily. Some of that, absolutely. But I guess to go back to Palmer, so there's a scene where Palmer and Childs are sitting in their room or their bunk or whatever. And Palmer is watching The Price is Right or something like that. And he was like, well, I've seen this one. So he gets up and he goes and changes the tape, comes mm-hmm. back and lights a joint. Well, as soon as he also joined out, Keith David just holds his hands out, right? Right. And Palmer lights it and hands it to him. You know what I mean? So... Like, it's a routine between those two. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're not close, but they know each other. Maybe. Does that make sense? Maybe. I just didn't like, get maybe any they're of that not overwhelming... Buddies. No, no, no. I'm not saying that maybe they were buddies, but they knew each other. They had all learned how to coexist. All these different personalities had learned how to exist with each other. Because, like, you've got Windows, who's obviously, like, socially awkward. He's the radio guy and and whatever. Palmer's just sort of the, the crazy one, I guess. He's the clinger. If he kind of reminds me of Matt Frower for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Kept getting those vibes off of him. But they had all found a way to, to exist together in this space. But no, I, I agree. There was no like buddy situation going on. Even at the end between uh, McGreedy and Childs, they, they weren't buddies even at the end mm-hmm. when they were the only two left. And I I don't I think that added to it. I don't think it, it detracted from the story. Right. And there's, a, I don't know, I, I was telling, Aiden was watching this with us and I was telling him, I was like, even when Keith David is an asshole in a film, you're still like, it's fucking Keith. David I don't I don't care <laughs> like he can do whatever the hell he wants to and he oh he just I don't know he always commands a room I feel like in anything that he's in you you automatically are, are drawn to whatever he's doing maybe it's his voice maybe it's his presence I don't know but for this to to be his first movie that's that's really impressive I didn't know that yeah I agree 100% Keith David just kind of steals the screen when he's on there regardless of what movie it's in even when it's in a terrible Candyman sequel <laughs> but even the supporting cast, the rest of the supporting cast, um, I feel like they all did a great job. Like right. they all played their roles. And there's 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 some things that are done. I mean, even subtly, like the scene with the the blood test scene. You know, by the time they get over, because everybody's thinking that this test is bullshit because he's gone through sample after sample and nothing's happened. And then by the time that you get over to Palmer's blood, he just kind of gives this subtle look, like he's not worried whatsoever. It's just this little. Cock of an eyebrow and 
kind of no well look that he gives because he thinks that he's safe. And so, I, I loved that that I loved that choice that he made. I I agree with that. I think it's the only thing that sort of breaks the movie a little bit because at no point does anyone like seem to acknowledge that they know they've been taken over by the thing because I guess ha- being that the movie stayed true to the book, it it takes them entirely like their cells, their memories, their everything, at least up to the point where they're assimilated, right? Um so they don't act like they know that they've been changed into something else until they break apart really but him in this scene he's like the jig is up you know what i mean sort of he's he's completely unconcerned by this test because he knows what's going to happen because as soon as it does its thing or whatever when he puts the hot wire oh my god (laughs) every fucking review we've watched (laughs) says when he puts the needle in the blood it's not a needle it's a piece of fucking copper wire. Yes. Like you see him with a pocket knife stripping the insulation <laughs> off of it. It's not a fucking needle. It's a piece of wire. I don't know why that annoyed me. It just annoyed, it annoyed me. me too, like, honestly. Like, God damn. It's not like, even the right color. It's to copper be a, wire, guys. It's, it's not even the right color to be a needle. What are you looking at? But I agree with you that the choice that that actor made in that scene was perfect. Yeah. So I feel like all the supporting cast, even um, like Richard Dysart plays Dr. Copper. And I understand that when the arms get chopped off in the belly scene, that that was a double amputee that they had brought in for that, that wore a mask. Or whatever. But I feel like he did a good job throughout. Mm-hmm. There was no, there were no wink links in this film. No, I don't, I don't think so. So speaking of the, the blood test scene, why don't we move on into special effects and other nightmare fuel scenes? <laughs> I give them an A plus. That's all I have to like say we, about we, the We've already, we've already talked about Raboutin and, and what he went through to accomplish this. So let's just put a highlight on the more iconic scenes where those special effects really shine. So I, I think first and foremost, obviously, has to be the dog scene. Like I said, it, the first time watching that, I was completely disgusted at what I was seeing. But it, it, it's, it's like the car crash thing, right? Like you're so disgusted, but at the same time, you just can't bring yourself to look away from it either. Like, like holy holy shit, what's going on? And everything that it has influenced in its wake, I mean, down to fucking Demogorgon's head splitting open like a flower was something that I was like, that's right out of the fucking thing, you know? So it it's there all over. Um, And then, oh my goodness, trying to think. Yeah, the defibrillator scene was just one that you... Well, I did have one thought where I was like, well, why is he about to put those on his tummy? <laughs> What does it look like? He's putting the paddles on his tummy. That's not where the paddles go. <laughs> but just that shock of that stomach opening up. You're like, holy shit, you know? And it, it's just, wow. I, I don't... Yeah, I agree that while the dog scene is probably one of the most well-known scenes in, in from this film, um, that... The defibrillator scene, that's sort of like where the head comes off and it turns into some kind of weird ass spider thing. (laughs) I don't don't know what the fuck that's supposed to be. That is, uh, I don't want to say amazing because it's not really amazing. It's gross as fuck. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to use the I word. Sort of an iconic thing. (laughs) I hate myself a little bit for saying that. But the special effects are just not rivaled really by anything else that I've seen so far. I think my thing with it is, uh, like, again, that was a scene that would go on to be redone in It Chapter 2, even down to the you gotta be fucking kidding. Um, And I, of course, I saw that scene and I just fucking loved it. Oh, it it was like Leo DiCaprio meme pointing at the TV, like, as soon as I saw that. But it's the imagination that went into it, I guess, that gets me. It's like... It looks like it came straight out of the nightmares of his head and was like, I saw this in a nightmare once and I'm putting it down. It just, it just takes, I, I, that's the only thing I can come up with is it just would have to take such imagination to come up with these visuals and these creatures. And it's just, it's just fucking amazing. It really makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like, what does the inside of their brain look like that they come up with this stuff? I often ask Aiden that, like, why is this your brain? Right. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Like my average. Day thoughts don't go to stuff like that right so 
people like Botin who come up with this stuff, how? How is your brain there? Right. Like, what led you to that place? So, I mean, I feel like there's probably a psychological study for the Boutines and Savinis of the world. Like, what got you to that? Right. And a lot of this stuff can firmly take this into a body horror film. Not oh, just absolutely. a science fiction, but... Absolutely. Yeah. But the only thing that I've seen since then, maybe, where I had that kind of same reaction of, this is the most fucked up shit that I've ever seen, was probably Color Out of Space. You know, something very similar happened where a mother and son were fused together. And I was just sitting there like... Oh my god, this is fucking right out of the thing. So Well, but they did it in Hellraiser 2 also, right? Um You're gonna have to elaborate. Okay. You don't, you don't throw Hellraiser around me. <laughs> I don't. So you better back it up. <laughs> but wasn't there one and was it Doctor was it the Chenard version where there were the two security guards and they were twins? Yes, it's Hellraiser. No, it has nothing to do with Chenard that No no, I'm just saying that's the movie that it was that movie. No, no, was it wasn't because movie? that's Hellraiser two and the twin Which security guards was, was Hellraiser Bloodline. Well, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Sorry, that's why I said you better be I'm ready just to back it up. Like the original, like when you see this, the 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 Norwegian guys that have been sort of halfway merged together, mm-hmm. that's a thing that was repeated in several movies. Sure, you could say that. I guess I I, I don't know. Well, I mean, they did it in how in Hellraiser. <laughs> Right? Uh, the twins, they get their heads pulled together, and that's what that was that Boutine came up with originally was those two heads that were, like, pulled together, and, like, one of them's screaming, and one of them's kind of smiling, and it's all fucked up looking. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying that he, he has been often imitated since then. Yeah. There have been a lot of things with the effects that people have gone on to do in movies later, because what he did was just, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, we'd be remiss to not talk about the Blair monster at the end. That man that i can't imagine the time and the resources and the hours working around the clock to make something on it as grand a scale as that and yes there are a couple of bits of stop motion in there that were a little bit obvious but even then i didn't mind those it's it's not something that if it took me out it was only for a millisecond and then i was right back into oh my god did you see his fucking head you know what i mean it's just it's just amazing yeah and there was originally supposed to be a lot of a lot more stop motion in this, and I guess the studio didn't like it, so they pulled it out, right? Um, and, and chopped it down to just a few seconds worth. Yes, yes. And also, I can't believe we haven't already brought this up: the fact that Stan Winston also worked on this. Yeah. So. I heard that, but I can't, I couldn't find it. But it was part of an interview where Boutine said that, I guess when he signed up for this or was selected for this or whatever, that he had gone to Stan Winston to say, hey, I may need some help with this. Are you going to be available? Um, And at some point, Winston did get involved in in some capacity because Boutine, I'm trying to quote this, was, I can't build another fucking mechanical dog. (laughs) 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 Right? Um, so there is the possibility, even though I can't completely validate it, that Stan Winston was also involved in this. Right. Which, holy shit. Like, that's a heavy hitter in yeah. the horror community or in the special effects community. Right. Absolutely. Winston's a straight badass. So speaking of things that are just completely badass, but did not necessarily get the credit that they deserved. Let's talk about for a minute, Ennio Mor- Morricone. Can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. This score is one of the best scores that I've ever heard in a horror film. For one, I honestly thought that this was John Carpenter at the beginning. It sounds so Carpenter-esque. And you know what's crazy is this is one of the few Carpenter films that he did not score himself. Right. That's why I just said. <laughs> well, you said it was it was Carpenter-esque, but yes. most Carpenter films, he does it himself and he turned it over to this guy. This guy did a badass job. He really did. And the thing is, it's not a score that's in your face and there in every single scene. There's not necessarily a score going on in every scene of the film, but when it is there, it is so suspenseful and foreboding and it just makes you feel like something is going to happen. And and down just to the main theme sounding like a fucking 
heartbeat. It's just so creepy from Jump. Um, the score and, the, and even the sound effects, some of the sound effects are just fucking awful. And, and I don't mean awful like bad. Like, I mean, make your stomach turn like, uh, I mean, I, I had to point it out to Travis, just the beginning of the title card, which if you hear how, how they even did the title card, it's a really cool story too. I would encourage you to look that up. But the sound that that title card makes going through, and it's a hard sound to describe. That so fucking cool. Yeah, they did a fantastic job with. And I'm gonna go ahead and give credit to the Foley artists or whatever that did the the, the effects. Period. Because um, at one point there was one effect that they did. And I, th- I want to say it was the um, the scene where the doctor is like taking apart the dog monster, right, and peeling back all that mm-hmm. flesh. That that was like paper towels soaked in egg yolk. Who comes up with that? <laughs> I don't know. Who thinks that goes, that'll make a cool sound. <laughs> but like the sound design overall was on point. Um, but the guy that did the score, Ezio, no, Eddie. that's Assassin's Creed. Oh um, my God. <laughs> he did a great job. And the sad thing is he actually got a Razzie for this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't get any fucking credit for this. But then later when he did like unused tracks from this mil- this film for the hate Late. He finally got. <laughs> he got a goddamn Oscar or whatever yeah. for it. Yeah. Like, and and the Oscar that he got was for unused music from the thing. Mm-hmm. It's just wrong. I I don't know. I I, I, I feel like it to, it's right. <laughs> I attribute it to the attitudes of the '80s that he did not get the credit he deserved in the '80s. Right. But no, I think the score is fantastic. It is atmospheric, and it, it, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not an immediately identifiable theme song. Oh, I feel like it is like, immediately identifiable. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that like, there's no. It's there, not Friday the 13th, and it's not Halloween, but... If I hear it, I'm going to know what it is. Well, see, I don't. Well, that's because you suck. I, yes. <laughs> but it's... But it gives an emotional response. Like, it changes how you feel about what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Like, the music has an emotional response. And I always like music that elicits an emotional response from you while you're hearing it. I feel like it enhances the experience. So Speaking of enhancing the experience, why Spanish is it... fly. What? I don't know. You are saying enhance yeah, the experience. That's got to come out. Uh, every time I watch this, I always feel like I need to watch it in the absolute cold, which we had this this past week and open up every fucking window put on a coat <laughs> and watch this movie to fully immerse myself in it <laughs> i don't know why that's a thing i'm like obsessed with doing and yet i never do it it is a thing like if you, i don't know would it would it change the way you see the movie if you watched it like while it was snowing mm-hmm. like would you feel differently about it if you watched it then yeah i have done that more than once i think last year when it snowed i was like we gotta watch the thing it's the same thing if there's if it's raining outside then i'm like we gotta watch it did it feel different watching it while it was snowing not really but it just i don't know sort of the novelty of it yeah yeah i guess so but wrapping up this (laughs) very daunting task (laughs) what did you love hate about this film um i guess i'd say i loved I love the effects. I like the story. I wouldn't say I love the story, but I like the story. I feel like it's solid. But I enjoy a good sci-fi. And I feel like that's kind of what this is. Like, it's horror, but it's also Mm -hmm. sci-fi. As far as hated goes... I don't like the ending, <laughs> but it's like I said before, it's the right ending, even though I don't like it. So even though I don't care for how they take you out, it's probably appropriate. So I guess that's it for me. It's really, I really don't have a lot that I would pick apart about this, about this film. Like there's not a lot to deconstruct here. I mean, if you're going to get deep into like meanings and all this other shit, yeah, probably. But likes and dislikes, I really don't have a lot that I would want to pull apart. How about you same uh for me i said this is right up there to me this is this is a unicorn film that i is it perfect no but anything that you are going to pick apart is nitpicky bullshit like you could say the technology that they use is dated like the chess wizard or their computer programs that kind of thing but does it take me out of it no not whatsoever so to me it is it's a fucking perfect film from like everything we've discussed as far 
as the themes and the acting and the practical effects, um, everything about it, the way the scares are done with class and not just, you know, the whole fucking paranormal activity error of we got to put a jump scare in every other second, you know, loud noise, ah, whatever. These scares are genuine in this, in this movie. And apart from that, there's, there's absolutely not one damn thing that I hate except one thing. Why was McCready holding some nasty ass pear of <laughs> John's bare handed? <laughs> it looked like they'd had a bad day at Chipotle. Yeah. And yeah, he was just barehanded the shit out of this. I was like, why the fuck are you doing that? It's like, it was like too much Taco Bell. And then they (laughs) used those underpants as toilet paper. And he just was grabbing all on it. (laughs) It was so gross. And he didn't wash his hands after either. (laughs) That we know of. He's an unsanitary man. But that's a joke. I'm kidding. Um, Yeah, I absolutely fucking love this movie so much. Um, I hope that we (laughs) were able to convey that in a way that was completely not boring so final thoughts oh, how, how do you how do you sum up this film i don't i don't know that you can i don't know i feel like it's still relevant now especially now probably with the pandemic crap going on i feel like it's i hate that thing. i, hate I that. know it but it's true everybody says that it's true though it's it's probably more relevant now than it would have been 10 years ago um i think it's a great movie like this is our shtick is supposed to be you love horror movies and i don't mm-hmm. you keep picking horror movies that i like so you're destroying our shtick <laughs> <laughs> but i don't i don't find really any faults in this film i feel like if you haven't watched it you're really missing out and you should you should totally check this movie out yeah how about you i don't know the force is strong with this one <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know i i don't know what what else i can say it, like i said it's it's a perfect film to me i don't have any other final thoughts just if you haven't already seen it go see it just pick apart all of those layers see it may tell you something completely different than what it tells me and even though like we said before everybody and their dog has some fucking analysis down to oh my god you can't see child's breath oh my god he gave him gasoline to drink oh my god who stole the fucking blood you you can talk about it for hours and any interpretation you get it could be right it could be wrong like we said before john carpenter said called bullshit on a few of them and people still want to continue to say yeah but no but yeah but no but it's like no if the director says (laughs) this is not it listen john carpenter says the driver picks the music and the passenger shuts their cake hole Right. Yes. <laughs> but that's part of the fun to be had is to have those discussions and to to have fun with uh, your interpretation of what everything means and what you got out of it. So if you haven't seen it, it's definitely a film to check out, even if it's not your genre necessarily, because I'll go ahead and tell you sci-fi is sci-fi horror is not necessarily my thing, but I, I fucking adore this movie. So. So, to ring in the new year, 2023, everybody. Hopefully it's better than 2022. (laughs) And 2021. We've had a string of shit years. We really have. (laughs) We're going to ring in the new year with Terror Train. Nice. You've seen Jamie Lee in the suburbs. Oh, I've seen Jamie Lee. You've seen Jamie Lee at prom. Now be prepared to see Jamie Lee on a train. This feels like an episode episode of Top Gear. (laughs) Some say. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. Okay, okay. Not everybody knows what Top Gear is, so just stop. They should. Okay, we need to do a whole other show. Show on Top Gear. No, we don't. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> anyway, so yes, next week we will come back with Terror Train. But until then, take care, guys. Bye. What would you do to save the life of a teenage boy? If you subscribe to our Patreon for just 3 to $10 a month, you can get Aiden out of the industrial-sized hamster wheel we use to power our show. <laughs> for that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth shit with him on anyway. Also be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration. <laughs>